How many have had some of those days? One, uh, one or two? How many had one this week? Every day this week, yeah. So every day is a day uh, we may be faced with adversity. And so this illustration has nothing to do with my sermon necessarily. It's just stuff that I throw at you to get us started. So this is a story about tough days, and this particular fella had a tough one. We have all had them. Some are worse than others, like the one uh, I had. I at the, Like the one that the hard-hat employee reported on his accident form when he tried to be helpful. This is just about a hard-hat employee who reported what happened. When I was... When I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top, so I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple barrels full of brick. When I had fixed, uh, fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier, heavier than I, and I was, before I knew, what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since I was too far off the ground by then to jump, and halfway up I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to, to top banging my head, continued to top banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the bottom, of the ground, it burst the bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel, so I started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on a pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts, deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line. The barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. Respectfully request sick leave. Boy, that's, I don't think that's necessarily a true story. However, you've had those days where if one more thing goes wrong and you begin to expect it, if things have gone, what else could go wrong with this day? Come on, you've had those days. And you wonder why and what is going on. Or is God trying to show you something or tell you something? What is it? Or is it just life? Sometimes I think it is just life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is with unexpectancies. Uh, things happen we can't explain. We are not in control. And so we say, Lord, help me now again. Lord, help me again. And so with that being said, We'll go to First John again and pick up kind of where we bounced left off last week in about the middle of the third chapter or so. We had uh, read about uh, in the third chapter about uh, the Lord's coming again. And because he's coming again, 
it says that we are to fix our hope on him, purify ourselves just as he is pure. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ is in a sense getting ready for the bridegroom to come. We are getting ready. We're, 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 we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're preparing. We're, just, we're looking ahead to that day. But in the meantime, we're working, going about what God has given us to do. We're not to sit on housetop roofs and wait for the Lord to come. And he says to occupy until I come. And I believe especially when it comes to helping other people in, in their faith and encouraging people around you. Some of you guys have challenging jobs. Uh, you can only do what you can do. I can't do what you can do. You have gifts and talents, things that you have learned through the way. Whenever you have people, uh, people that's involved in your work, you always have challenges. People come and go with their ups and downs. There's always... There's always ministry. By the way, you are in ministry whenever you are around people. Does that make sense? Or if you're not around people, you're maybe thinking about others, praying for them, or you're, you're involved in some way. All of us have a ministry of some kind to support the kingdom of God. And so all in all, we are, we're trying to, sometimes we're, we're, we're trying to encourage other people. At the same time, we may be struggling ourselves with certain certain issues that come and go. I know that sometimes during the winter time, it's hard for a lot of people because of the lack of light. They feel low. They feel discouraged. They feel depressed. I've been there a time or two. I think that being honest about it helps us. You know, you're not the only one. That we are all in a similar situation that we're going through life that at times, if we could actually be honest and share with each other, we probably would be surprised. Well, you, you're struggling with that too. Wow. So John writes to the church. He writes to the Christian. He writes to the people that are in faith. And in the first chapter, he describes to them, if you have sinned, you're not, you're not to just, you know, be devastated, walk away from God, but you're actually to go to God. But what happened in the early Genesis, Adam and Eve ran from God, which is still the same nature. And I think you and I still struggle. We don't want to admit until we give in and we yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But thank God for his convictions, because that's where the healing can start. And so now by the time we get into the third chapter, he's talking about the second coming of the Lord, but he also begins to deal with the fellowship with God. The word abide comes up. In verse 6 of chapter 3, no one who abides in him sins. I find that verse a little bit confusing because in the first chapter he said, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. You make God to be a liar. So with the context of it all, bring it all together, what he's dealing with this context is that if the people, the people that have never had God in their life, they can't not help but sin. That's what they do. Did you ever hear the saying, sinner sin? And guess what? Saints sin too. And the difference here 
And verse, I'm going to read a few verses to get this setting, but he's no, verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you that one, that, that the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin. So now let's look at, look at the word. The one who practices. In other words, one, the one who, who has never had God to come into his life, never asked the Lord to, to dwell in him, he has, has no ability to not sin. But with the Lord in our hearts, we have now, we, our eyes are open. We can sense that God is not pleased with us. We have a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can come to God and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I need your help. And sometimes God has to use other people. Many times he uses other people in the circle of faith to encourage one another on. You know what? We're not made to run this race by ourselves. We are not made, as much as I am a Norwegian miser who would think he could live in the wilderness for some extension of time, always been fascinating to me. There still is a need deep down in the soul for a friend, for someone to share with, someone to, to do life with. God wants us to love the people around us. Now, he gives this, in this passage, he alludes to a person early in the book of Genesis and we just talked about this a little bit last Wednesday. And uh, the man named Cain, one of Adam's sons, had also had another son named uh, Abel, right? Cain and Abel. There was a problem in Cain's heart. Now, he brought his offering, and God says, I don't accept your offering. Abel brought his offering of the first uh, flock, and Cain brought his offering from a uh, grain offering, which is acceptable. There's, Leviticus describes it. Well, they're, they're acceptable to bring it. But there was an attitude that was a problem. And in the book of Genesis, God asked Cain, or he says to him, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it which describes to me that every one of us at times have had sin crouching at our door. In other words, we've been mulling on something. Maybe we've been wanting to say something that we shouldn't say. Just for example, all of us struggle with the human nature of wanting to get revenge or not to pay attention. And, and so Cain's attitude led him to destroy his brother. It was not the right thing to do. But in his humanity, in his fleshiness, it felt good. It satisfied him for a bit, a short time. And God dealt with him and gave him punishment and disciplined him. But here we see that old, the old nature in us needs to be put in place day by day. We have a, a nature to sin, but Jesus comes to help us bring self-control and crucify the flesh, meaning we surrender, we give ourselves over to the Lord, knowing 
that which is the right thing to do and not doing it also is sin. So we can, we can try to, it, it, it doesn't really, God doesn't necessarily get into the list. He does to a degree, but there are consequences to all sin. It seems like there are more severe consequences to different sins. I know the Bible says you sin in one point, you've sinned in all. What that's describing is that we cannot save ourselves, no matter how good we are. And so for me to say I have no sin would be making God out to be a liar. The good news is he comes to save us from our sin. We're sinners saved, set free by the grace of God. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life. Today we stand here, we sit here, and we can worship a God who has created us. We can be the man or the woman of God he's created us to be because of his grace and his righteousness that took our place for the sin, the penalty that was placed upon him himself. The cross of Jesus Christ brings us to God. It bridges us to, to God himself. But now God can look at us as a sinless person because of Jesus Christ who lives in you. And so the struggle is oftentimes getting over things from the past and we're going to lead to this verse that's very intriguing to me. Let me just read a few more verses and we'll get to it. But here, after we got to the story of Cain, and he describes a little bit about uh, the world. And verse uh, 17, well, whoever has the world's good and beholds his brothers in need, closes his heart against him. How does that love of God abide? In other words, if you say you love God and you hate, and you say you love God, oh, I love you, God but you hate your brother, you're having a conflict within. A conflict. There's a war going on. Now, I'm, not just, I'm not just saying about having trouble getting along. Sometimes there are personality clashes. Some people that are click, you click with. Other people you, you, you don't know how to talk to them because you don't understand that's okay but this is dealing with if someone you see broken like the prodigal like not the product but this good samaritan you saw him broken and bleeding and he did something about it that demonstrated to god that your faith was in action and so when you get over to the book of james you read about i will show you my faith by my works there was an action, there was a definite, something kicked in that we just can't st settle and stop and just say, well, I don't want to get involved. And now there are degrees and there are margins and there are balances to, we can't help everyone. But if God, is God speaking to you about someone? Perhaps God is gent gently nudging you to help someone. And so in the next verse, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Oh, may the church be authentic and real. May the, may the community see the church in the marketplace as a positive thing, as something that's, that's there and doing 
I believe the Christians ought to be the best workers. They ought to be the people that are able to work things out and make it happen. Now, verse 19, we shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him in whatever, look at this verse 20, in whatever our hearts condemns us, look at that verse, in whatever your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Let me just camp on that just a bit. There will be days when you don't feel overcomer. There will be days when you don't feel strong in the Lord. There will be days when you're not sure even, am I saved? Listen, this whole thing about faith is not how you feel. It's about what he's done for you. Yes, I love to feel. In many days I feel good and strong, and I feel peace. But there are moments when you're just wrestling with something. Or something's coming at you. Or the spirit of the Antichrist or the devil and his spirits are wanting to get you discouraged and down and to start to think on negative things and you start to spiral downward. So when you read a verse, like, in whatever hearts condemns it, in other words, when I prayed about it already, when I confessed that sin already, or when that's in the past, it's gone forever and forever, never to be remembered again. So when I want to condemn myself or the enemy wants to bring condemnation upon me, uh, the heart, God is greater than the heart. Your heart is the sanctuary of God. Your heart is where God dwells. Your heart is where God wants to be. He wants to be intertwined in your heart. Remember Proverbs, this is watch over your heart for from it flows the springs of life. You control what's going on in your heart. When you abide in God, when you abide in Jesus, you are planting seeds in your heart that are going to bear fruit. What's going to come out of your mouth is going to come from God if you've been reading and thinking upon the things of God. If you're thinking positive thoughts, if you're thinking about the things that God can do rather than what you can't do, amen, then we begin to have hope. A greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's a little further down. You know what the enemy, you know what he's good at? He wants to get us discouraged just, just, to, just to stop praying long enough so that we can, he can hold us back. That he could interfere, but guess what? The church of Jesus Christ. God is greater than any heart and any condemnation. He knows all things. That's comforting at the same time, oh boy. God knows all things. He knows when I'm really serious or I'm just kind of nonchalant, just kind of going through the motions. God knows when our heart is pure. And God sees all things, and he wants to deal with things that are not pure. I'm so glad he doesn't give up on him. He doesn't give up on us when there's an imperfection. He sees the value. He sees you as a potential. 
He sees you as a person that he's created for himself and that one day will be clothed with all the, the, his, his, the new body that we read about early in the, ch- in the chapter. When we see him, we shall be like him. What does that mean? We shall have a heavenly body. We shall have a body and a- able fit to see God in his fullness. And we shall be like him. We shall be eternal like him. It starts now. Every morning, Lamentations chapter 3. His mercies are new every morning. In that passage, there are, uh, in that book of Lamentations, it says in another place, why should you complain about your sins? Examining yourself. You see, the devil loves it when we beat ourselves up and tell ourselves we're no good, we failed. He loves that because we've got us in condemnation. We've got to learn how to fight this fight. We've got to learn how to take the whole armor of God and put it on. We're going to place it on our helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the preparation of the gospel. It takes work. It takes effort. The old timers used to say it this way. Pray until you pray through. Pray until you feel God's release and that he's heard. And the answer is on the way. They would say, have you prayed through? Or they would say this. Have you got the victory? If you didn't have the victory, many of those old timers would say, we're going to pray for you until you get the victory. See how it was. Not every day we may feel the victory, but I believe we can have the victory more often than not. God is our victor. And see, he describes how we can pray with such, such confidence. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, when you've settled the sin question or the sin issue, now, there's a connection. You see what God does? He deals with us before he deals with the circumstance. Sometimes I believe that he's more concerned about you praying than the prayer you're praying. He's working on the prayer, praying person. He wants to develop your faith so that when you come to God and call on his name, it is recognizing your strength. It's not saying, well, Lord, I look what I've done here, look what I've done there. It's saying this, thank you, God. You have helped me. Because of your indwelling spirit, you helped me resist the temptation. You help me overcome. And we have to look at the dependency. So John's Gospel, chapter 15, read that sometime on your own, but that really deals with the abiding thing and the branches and the fruit and then how God prunes us, snips off things in our life. God is working off the rough edges in our life. And you've all heard the saying, you're a diamond, they're a diamond in the rough. Sometimes it's really in the rough. 
And only God can see the potential at the diamond. You all heard the onion layer thing. You peel back the layers. You peel back the layers. And deep buried beneath there's something God wants to penetrate. Oh, that we would be honest before God. That is what frees us up. That is what gives us the boldness. Honestly, thank God, I, as the one prayed, oh, forgive me of my sin, not like the other. I'm thankful, God. I'm not like that man. Oh, my. Wow. Help us, Lord. By the grace of God, I could be in their shoes of being a slave to the sin nature. When God comes to help us be delivered. Now, we go on. We're reading along here in First John's Gospel, chapter 3. Whatever, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Have you ever thought about this? I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. Have you ever had moments when you thought you really needed something? And then later in life, you realize that wouldn't have been good. That's called growing up. That's called maturing in the faith. You see, what is it that God, what do we, what do we mean? We get everything we ask for? Well, there's this little part of that describing the will of God. If we pray according to his will, how do we know his will? God's will is described throughout the pages of his word. Well, one of the things I know is his will is that he wants me to know him. And he wants me to be honest before him. And he wants people to be saved. And he wants people to be delivered. So what I'm praying in those kinds of things. I know that I'm praying according to his will. But here we can skip ahead in the in the chapter of chapter five which is one of the greatest I, I believe it's helped me so often to have confidence assurance of my own salvation uh, i just want to touch on this because i think it'll help us clear up some of the things that we we're talking about early he who has the Son has the life. Verse 12, chapter 5. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, he's writing to the people of faith. He's saying to them, if you believe, and not just merely intellectual faith, because James says those, even the demons believe, and they shudder, they know who God is, but they don't follow him. And so now, verse 4, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have heard from him, which we have received from him or asked from him. <laughs> if I'm abiding in God, here's how I like to look at it. God is abiding in you and I. He's dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit. And you're looking to him. And there's this conversation, hippie conversation with God, just visiting with God. 
I think you do it. I think you, when you're driving, whatever, remember you got some time on your hands, and you're just kind of open, you're just saying you're listening for God. Guess what? God loves listening ears. Wouldn't it be awesome if God speaks to you and says, this is how you need to pray. Pray in regards. If you're praying for a situation, and all of a sudden he puts a finger on it, and it can be just one word that would blow that thing apart, that would move in order for things to get better, to turn things around, to heal hurts, for example. Humility, example. Humble yourself. It's all about what do you want, Lord? How would you deal with this? What would Jesus do in your situation? How would Jesus respond to a person? It's so easy to fool people around you. But there's a deep hurt sometimes that we carry that we don't want to let, let anyone know about. I believe the body of Christ ought to have to a degree a place where we can connect and that that one and one that we can share each other's burdens. And so all these things are twined together. We have an example of Cain who did it his own way, who took it upon himself to seek revenge. He was jealous over his brothers, getting blessed. He was jealous, and he was going to just, he decided to just destroy his brother. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to, to have peace. And that is, if someone has hurt you, Turn them over to God. Guess what? God's able to do what, what it takes. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What does that do? That brings your heart into submission, whereas you're not the one in control. I loved not being in control because God is. What I mean by that, I love that God is in control and not me. I want God to be in control. Self-control is another thing, and that's biblical. That's a fruit of the Spirit, and God helps us. This next chapter, it starts it out by in the fourth chapter. Don't believe every spirit. Do you know that we live in a spiritual world? I think you do. We live in a very spiritual world. There are, there are all kinds of evil spirits that's come from the enemy. And so not to just what he's saying, don't just assume that everyone is coming with the right spirit. In verse 2, by this... You know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If someone is declaring the things of God, and yet they can't say, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, he died for me, he's my Lord, then I would have reason to believe there's a problem. 
Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. There are certain spirits that come close to the spirit of Jesus, but they're false. They have part of the truth, but then they have something that we can't accept. And so what is, what is that all about? Listen, we keep ourselves in the right place by being in the word of God, praying to God, asking God to lead us by his spirit, asking God to open your ears to his voice. I think sometimes the enemy wants to try to disturb, to disturb or somehow get into our thought life that will detour us away from the things of God. So John says, verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How about that? Greater is he that is in you. God is greater than the spirit of the world. God is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist. God is greater than the spirit of the false teacher. God can give you discernment. To say, oh, that's not quite right. That doesn't line up with the scripture. We don't have to accept everything. I think this is a screen. A screen. A sifts. Sifts out stuff, untruth, humanism. Whenever we put ourselves in the place of God, it's not right. It's me and I, humanism. With God in us, oh God, without you I cannot, but with you I can. Without you I fail. I flounder, I, I, I fall, but I look to you. Even if I fall, I look to you. Even when I stumble. I'm often challenged by the verses of James. It says this, that those who teach the word of God will incur a stricter judgment. What's that mean? Well, that we are to study to show ourselves approved. A workman needed not to be ashamed. We've got to put ourselves in the book. We've got to put ourselves to the place where we can hear God. So I'm being encouraged today. You know what? All the junk that's going on around us in the world, there's a lot of junk, there's a lot of stuff. We don't have to buy in. We don't have to give in. We don't have to bow to that. We don't have to say, well, it's just everywhere, everywhere now. Everything is, you know, everybody's going that way. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. The same God who spoke his word in the beginning is still the same. Let's be the people of God who stand firm. And we're not just, we're not to be angry people. We're just... In fact, we're to be the opposite of that. We're to be the people who are at peace. And you know what? We have found the way we are walking with Jesus. We are loving people to God. And that's the next thing that he gets into, the command to love one another. And Jesus described. Now, it all sounds easy, doesn't it? Just love people, right? 
right? It's, it's easier with God. God's, and you guys are easy to love. I'm talking about people that are anti-God, people that are anti the spirit of Antichrist. You know what? That shouldn't surprise us because we're in the last days. Jesus said, when you see the things coming, beginning to come, you look up. The church is getting ready to caught away, be with him forever and ever. Is there something on your heart today? I, I encourage you. We have a Lord that is completely able. He is greater than any of your fears, any of your concerns. He will even go with you to the farthest ends of the world. I can't imagine where my daughter Emily, you know, way around the world in New Zealand and all. That's not my personality, but that's hers. And she's fine with that. I just pray, Lord, keep her wherever she goes. And God is good. God is able. We have concerns. Sometimes people in our family, we don't know how they're going to quite all turn out. You're the, you're the one who brings the blessing and speak life into their hearts.